0: The Washington Post has a fascinating story today that shows that a good-sized segment of Americans want to have authoritarian government. And the more avidly they support Donald Trump, the more authoritarian they are. It's fascinating to quantify that. It's something that I've wondered about based on the emails I get from people saying, we need somebody to keep us safe. And I think, safe from what? Anyway, it's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer I'm Chris Quinn here with Chris Gronowski, and back today is Laura Johnston. Chris Gronowski, I sent you a link to that story. It was pretty interesting, (laughs) huh?
1: Yeah, I feel like you're going to get some emails for that intro there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not my story. I'm just repeating what Uh they reported.
0: But it it does fit. I, I mean, I've gotten emails from people saying you know, how can you not endorse Trump? We need Donald Trump to keep us safe. And it's like safe from socialists. Like there's this army of people out there that are trying to wreck America. And it's like, what, where are they? I don't, I don't understand it because this is a nation that was founded in opposition of authoritarian government. We fought world wars to put down authoritarian government and yet a sizable number of our countrymen, want it and I just don't get it I mean they want to click their heels and do the salute that's bizarre
1: (laughs) well I think we're also a nation that was founded on you know owning as much property as you can and you know keep it you know I mean there's a lot there's a lot of foundations of this country that are not as noble but you know that's that is a story a long story for another day (laughs) (laughs) all right
0: let's begin the podcast what did Vice President Mike Pence have to say about Christopher Columbus during his campaign stop in Columbus on Columbus Day Monday? Laura Johnston, it's a little bit surprising he's going there because of what's gone on this year. But he went there. What did he say?
2: Yeah, he did. During a rally at this construction firm, he called the Democratic um Presidential nominee Joe Biden, a Trojan horse for the radical left, who, if elected, would abandon our most cherished ideals in history. And in his mind, that includes explorer Christopher Columbus. So Pence singled out Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther, a Democrat, for removing that statue of Columbus in front of City Hall. He said, in the dead of night, and he brought up this proud Italian heritage that had put it up 65 years ago, and said he thinks that this question of the election is not. Do you want a more conservative or liberal country, more red or more blue? But the choice in the election is, quote, whether America remains America, um, which so he really kind of took it to a, a bigger platform, I guess. So all I can think is he's playing to that proud heritage that people they don't want change. You know, maybe the same people who didn't want Confederate statues removed in the South.
0: But, you know, there's a way of respecting Italian Americans without saluting Columbus who you know his his explorations launched centuries of slavery. I I was surprised that he went there especially this year. This is a year where there's been a reckoning that America has long celebrated people that are not very noble, the right. leaders of the of the south during the civil war and Christopher Columbus is pretty much now recognized as a villain despite what all the history books said when we were little kids. And I get that Italian-Americans have long looked at Columbus Day as their version of St. Patrick's Day. But there are so many other Italian-American heroes that you could use in in place of Columbus. It's just odd to me that Pence would come to a a urban part of Ohio and make that argument. And well, maybe I'm-
2: he's not making it for that urban part of Ohio. I mean, you... you- put the vice president anywhere giving a speech and it's going to be covered by the national media. And maybe he's trying to court that vote that thinks that things should not change. I mean, um, I think that's what, I mean, he's saying that, right. He's like, what do you want America? If you want America vote for me, if you want.
0: But, but but he's using a a figure that caused untold human suffering. And he's celebrating one of history's villains now. And, and as part of the campaign. And I there's so many other ways you could go that would be just as effective without celebrating. But they're not
2: as easy, I don't think. And I right. think he's not courting the entire portion of the vote. I mean, you just mentioned this earlier on the podcast, talking about this authoritarian story. And I mean, you've read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, and I've read it. And I think a lot more people probably should read it. But it's this idea that, you know, you you hold up your own and you maybe to push other people down. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that's where he's going, but there is that mentality out there.
1: I'm actually kind of stunned that you're surprised about that. I mean, <laughs> First we're, me. go, going going to Columbus on Columbus Day to to fan <laughs> the flames of a culture war. You know, I mean, we're, we're at the point in this campaign where... You know, I mean, I mean, look, I I feel like, and and I'm not, I, and I'm I'm trying to be as objective as I can about this because you know, Lord knows, <laughs> sometimes I'm not, but but there but there is nothing in the tank left. I mean, all they have is culture war stuff. We're fighting, you know, the abortion war on the Supreme Court nomination front. We're, you know, talking about the suburbs becoming these dangerous hellholes of public housing. And 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 now we're There's, talking about there, removing are, statues. This is the, are there
0: large numbers of people advocating to keep Columbus statues. I, I mean, I just I I'm not sure how big a, a kick you I mean, get when you look at at who this man was. Well,
1: but what other statues are we currently taking down in this country? You know well, the issue. The reward. issue of taking down statues is, you know, it is it is about as clear a dog whistle. I think as mm-hmm. you'll find. I you know I agree with it, that. And, and 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 look, it's this is what they have. They 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 can't really run anymore on the idea that they have a plan for healthcare, that they have a plan for dealing with the coronavirus. I mean, it, you know, running on the record is not going to work for them because their record is bad. And and so they're going to just go out and fan these flames from now until the end of the election. And well, fortunately, that is in three weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. We got to move on. It's this week in the
0: CLE. What did Joe Biden have to say during his second campaign stop in two weeks in Ohio, a state that he had been ignoring as a lost cause before September? Chris Ranowski, he wasn't any more surprising I guess than than Mike Pence although I was I was surprised you weren't by Mike Pence.
1: Mm. What did he have to say? Well, he told a uh, a crowd of union workers on Monday that he plans to rebuild the country using union work which is sort of his closing argument in the the labor friendly state that we currently live in and and he spoke he spoke yesterday at a rally outside the United Auto Workers Local 14 headquarters in Toledo and and they did sort of a they did a drive in thing where 50 cars parked in a lot and everybody honked to show his show support to him. But what he's really doing is sort of taking a page out of Sherrod Brown's book, which is something that 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 Brown has sort of encouraged him and the and the Democratic Party to do in this state, which is, you know, to come here and actually talk about work and to talk about jobs and, and talk about labor. And and so his his speech sort of stressed the strength of the American worker and the need for more union jobs to help rebuild the country. And, and, and he also included some tough talk on companies that outsource jobs overseas. And I mean, it really is kind of a, you know, a Brown is sort of the, the, the proxy for him here in, in this, or I don't know if it's, it's vice versa, you know, is, is Biden sort of taking a page out of his book is, is, you know, is, is, but, but I think it's important to note that he's here and he's campaigning and, and that, that, you know that does say that we are sort of a toss-up state now. We we are. I mean, it's pretty
0: clear from the polls. What I was surprised at, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on, he used Lordstown as one of his examples. Now, Lordstown, after Donald Trump campaigned over there saying, "Hey, don't sell your houses," manufacturing is coming back. Lordstown closed, and everybody held it up against Trump. This major auto plant closed on your watch, but m- much to our surprise. The electric truck company that has gone into that plant. We all thought that there was some bogus nature to it. It's, it's real. They, mm-hmm. they are making trucks. There's going to be some other things that go into that plant. Um, it, it, it's not close yet to what its employment was, but there's a chance it could get there. So I, I'm surprised that he's using Lordstown to attack Donald Trump because I think Donald Trump could say, Hey, look, you know, I didn't close that plant, but. I did what I could to bring something back. I worked with Rob Portman and, and there's growth there in the kind of industry Ohio needs a clean
1: energy kind of industry. Um, what, what's your thought there? Well, I think there's, I think it's an interesting sort of position to take, but you know, like you said, there, you know, there's no evidence yet that that community has been made whole by the announcement that they're going to start assembling these electric trucks there, and. And I think if you look if you look historically at at the Trump administration's promise on manufacturing, it has fallen short. You know, you have the the carrier plant in Indiana as an example of of him, you know, of you know, really making a big deal about bringing jobs back. And then it really at the at the end of the day, it didn't. Really pan out that way, so you know there's.
2: Can I add in? I mean, he oh, did gosh, use so. this. Thank you. Um, he had the whole press conference with the truck in front of the White House. I mean, Trump does see this as a success, so they're both trying to take different parts of it. I guess. And I'm
1: and look, I'm not trying to downplay it. If 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 it's good for Lordstown, then good for Lordstown, and and good for this administration, and good for you know everybody who lives there. You know, but it remains to be seen. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like let's. Let's revisit that in a year and see where it's at. You know, well, I, I and and I, and I think there, you know, there 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 is a risk, but you know, we're not going to know whether it's a success or failure by this election. So, you know, if in a year that plant is is booming and successful, and Biden is president, it won't matter what he said today or yesterday. But
0: but I do think Trump can can push this, saying, look. GM closed that damn plant. I I was as stunned as everybody, and I was left with a big, stinky mess, and I've done something about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a potential for serious growth. What's the secondary thing you're putting in there? The batteries, right? I mean, right. that's that's the kind of business that when John Kasich was governor, he talked about wanting to get every state in the country wants to get clean energy kind of uh, manufacturing going and electric vehicles and batteries for them is a big thing. I I was a little bit surprised Biden brought it up because I I don't think that's that's a win for him. I think Trump has more of a chance of making that a win than anybody. Look, and I was one of the most skeptical when this thing first came up. I thought, right, this is all phony. It's for real. They're they're making trucks there and we'll have to see where it goes. You're listening to this week in the CLE Have the throngs of early voters abated from their big numbers last week in Akron and Cleveland Laura Johnson. Lots of people have their absentee ballots. Lots of people don't trust the U.S. mail. So that means lots of people have to drop their ballots off. And because of Frank LaRose, they can only do it in one place per county because he's trying to limit voting. What are the crowds like where people are trying to do early voting and drop off their ballots?
2: It is still crowded. So we have photos from Dave Peckowitz and Josh Gunter on our site showing throngs at both boards of elections in Summit County and Cuyahoga County. And Summit, people were waiting up to an hour in line. They were also able to vote via drive up voting. And under this, they had it under a tent with ropes. It kind of looked like Cedar Point, like you're waiting for a ride very socially distant, of course. It was a government day off for Columbus Day. So a lot of people didn't have to work. That's celebrated as, as Indigenous Peoples Day in Cleveland and Italian American Heritage Day in Akron. But that just means they didn't have to be in their workplaces so they could take advantage of the no work and the nice weather to get out and vote. And Robin Goist actually got some numbers from the boards of election that Friday, the first Friday of uh, voting and late afternoons were the busiest time. So try to avoid that.
0: So the best time to go is not on a Friday in the morning.
2: Right, exactly. And we're talking, I mean, well over 1,500 people every day in Cuyahoga County last week. In Summit County, they were in the 400s, um, but got up to nearly 600 on at one point. Oh, that, sorry, that was the times of day. So yeah, a little over 1,400 in, in Summit County as well. So we're talking thousands of people showing up there every day to vote. And you can do that almost until election day.
0: And you've got to think that the closer you get to Election Day, the more it's going to get crowded. You I mean, maybe we'll have a lull next week because you're still a few weeks away. But the
1: closer we get, the more people are going to panic about getting their
2: ballots right. in. So. Right.
1: Andrew Tobias and, and a few other people um, brought up something interesting about this in that um, a lot of people that the, the people are saying that the early rush was – the result of people being afraid that they may shut down voting again as a result of the coronavirus, which I don't think will happen this year. But I think, I think that might explain why we had such a, you know, I voted on the first day and the turnout was pretty significant. And, and so that may be one of the reasons why people were eager to get out and vote because they want to make sure that it gets counted and, and that they they don't want to risk waiting until election day and having something happen with the virus.
2: I just think that people feel a lot of angst about it and anxiety, and this is a way to relieve that and be like, "I did it, I'm done, I don't have to think about it anymore."
0: Yeah. Have you guys okay. voted? No, I'm voting election day at the at the polling
1: place. My
2: absentee ballot, we had to stop our mail. We were gone for a couple of days, and we didn't get it yet. So, you know, you can get your email of what is in your mail, so we know it's there. We just haven't gotten it. No, okay.
0: No, I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like at the polling place. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What do Midwesterners think of Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Mike Pence, Kamala Harris, Mitch McConnell, Amy Coney Barrett and Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Chris Warnowski, the Great Lakes Poll from Baldwin Wallace University, gives us a good look at what people from Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania think of these people. What do they think?
1: Well, yes, you're right. We did release more uh, more polling stories yesterday and today. So we have a lot more coming um, that uh, Baldwin-Molellis and, and a couple of other colleges looked at. Uh, they questioned voters in Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. And most of those states have a unfavorable opinion of President Trump. Uh, Joe Biden fared a little better in this poll. Uh, the majority of respondents in all states, 51 percent in Ohio, 53 percent in Michigan and Pennsylvania, and 55 percent in Wisconsin held unfavorable opinions of the president. Uh, he was most unpopular in Wisconsin where only 42 percent of likely voters viewed him as viewed him favorably. Then um, he has a net unfavorable rating of 13 percent. In Michigan and Pennsylvania, he had a net unfavorable rating of 10%. And Ohio voters held the most favorable view of him at 44%, a net unfavorable rating of 7%. Um, Biden was viewed slightly better in Ohio. We're the most conservative of the four states polled um, where Trump won in 2016 by an average of eight points. Around 47% of voters held. An unfavorable opinion of Biden, while forty-six percent held a favorable opinion, and that's a slight improvement from February. But it's it's interesting that that Trump actually did improve a little bit um, from the last poll that that we did. Um, the VP president presidential candidates, uh, um, they 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 are sort of flat. Like people aren't really people aren't excited about Kamala Harris or Mike Pence. So check out those numbers. And and Mitch McConnell and Democratic uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, um, are wildly unpopular across each
0: state. <laughs> but people love Ruth Bader Ginsburg.
1: People really do like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, who died uh, on September 18th. And she was by far the most popular political figure uh, mentioned in the survey with more than half the respondents in each state holding a, a favorable opinion of her. So that was fascinating. I, you know, I was, th- that was interesting.
0: All right. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Do Ohio voters believe what governor Mike DeWine says that if Donald Trump loses the election, he will gracefully concede Lord Johnson. I really liked the questions that Baldwin Wallace came up with <laughs> in this poll. They were very provocative. They had great questions about voting and a bunch of things. But this is a good one. More than half
2: of likely Ohio voters believe Trump won't concede or accept next month's general election, even if certified vote totals show that he's lost. So this is 53.6 percent of likely voters. They think he will not concede. About a quarter of voters think he would concede and about 21 percent are unsure. And you're right. This is astonishing to Considering in, you know, more than 200 years of this country, we've always had peaceful transition of power from the very beginning, not only to have to ask the question, but then the majority of people saying, yep, yeah, they're worried about it. They don't think he will concede is it's kind of I mean, I know we see this a lot, but it's just mind boggling.
0: So, Chris Warnowski, if the Washington Post story today is correct, that a large segment of the country, not the majority, but a large segment of the country wants authoritarian government. If you had a president playing the strong man, <laughs> refusing to concede, would those people support that?
1: Right. I think I think maybe that would be an interesting poll question, which is if he loses, do you want him to concede? You know, and I don't you know, I think people what people like about Trump, uh, you know, is hit the fight that he puts up on things like this. And so, you know, I have a sense that, you know, the pe- I, you know, I mean, look, it, if this is close, it's going to be rigged and, you know, fought through the courts. And, you know, I, I think, I think the concern is that there's, you know, going to be a rush to declare victory, which, you know, all of the social media platforms have basically said, like, we're going to be on the watch for this and we're going to take down any posts where, you know, people are, you know, declaring a, a victory early without full result. You know, and and so it's it's interesting how we're sort of having to gird ourselves for this because I, you know, I think I think people are eager for him to fight this tooth and nail until he, you know, the the day he's <laughs> Which, supposed to walk out of the White House,
0: even if he loses. And that's the bizarre thing. Well, it'd be interesting. You're right; it'd be an interesting. But point.
1: again, this is sure. one of those things where you know, for, you know, eons in this country, we have just assumed w- would be the way that things worked. Like, you know, a lot of Americans just sort of operate under the notion that, oh, well, of course we'll have a peaceful transfer transfer of power. And, and you know, of course we won't right. have somebody who, you know, is, well, is going is to put up a fuss. And then all it took was somebody who said, yeah, I'm not going to do that.
0: <laughs> and, although, and suddenly let's point out that elected Republicans across the land... I- have said not as in- we'll <laughs> know in three weeks. You're listening to this week in the CLE. When two Cuyahoga County Sheriff's employees tested positive for the coronavirus, did the sheriff's office alert the public and other employees who work in the Justice Center with the two infected people? Chris Ronaski, this is kind of a surprise. The answer's no.
1: <laughs> yeah, the yeah, the short answer is no. So last week we learned that two sheriff's department employees had tested positive. And and what's worth noting, what Corey Schaefer noted very early on in his story, is that these are two employees that actually deal with the public. A deputy that works in the common police court's 12th floor arraignment room, uh, where dozens of defendants, attorneys, and court staff gather every morning and afternoon, and a protective service officer assigned at the check-in desk on the 18th floor, each tested positive. And Cuyahoga County uh, Chief Public Safety uh, Chief of Public Safety Robert Corey and uh, Mary Louise Madigan would not disclose the exact date that each employee tested positive, but the county notified um, uh, the city of Cleveland and the county health, health boards and, of the test results, and they they are conducting contact tracing and deep cleaning the areas where the employees worked. But what's notable is that the sheriff's department did not notify the public or employees who work in the justice center, the positive tests for several days. And as a result of that, um, it became the subject of rumors that kind of also spread Wednesday evening. As many as f- five employees got the virus and which is not the case, at least, you know, as far as what we know right now. And, and so that was the, the issue that it really irked a lot of people. Um, Nancy Jameson, who is the president of the Cuyahoga County, Uh, Defense Lawyers Association said uh, one of the attorneys who was a member of the group spent three days on the 18th floor in a trial last week. And, you know, despite signing the sign in sheet every day (laughs) and, you know, hasn't hasn't received any contact from the county as of Friday when the story was written. And so, you know, I I think there's a bit of understanding that this is a difficult situation for everybody. But at this point in the in the virus and, and especially since, you know, the the justice center and and the the public defender and the prosecutors in the county have done a pretty good job of of managing the issue in the jail and and in the the sort of sphere of public safety around the justice center. This this you know seems like a pretty big <laughs> mistake.
0: Okay, you're listening to this week in the CLE. Chris, I'm calling an audible. I'm going to hit you with a question I didn't prepare you for, it, but I know you can answer it. Okay. What did a fool at the Summit County Board of Elections do on Twitter yesterday that brought a lot of unwanted attention?
1: Uh, something we've probably all done, which is they forgot to log out of their work account before they tweeted something from, that they wanted to tweet on their personal account. Robin Goist got an alert on her phone. I asked her how she found this, and it was she. She said, "I'm I'm." I'm very nerdy. I have all of these alerts set up from these various Twitter accounts that come up on my phone, and and she noticed the tweet and 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 realized that it was that something was off about it. The, yeah, I'd say
0: it was off. <laughs> well, you and yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm trying.
1: Look, I'm trying to be diplomatic, and <laughs> and, and and it was he basically called. He, he, I'm going to read the tweet because it's it's because she screen grabbed it, and if you go on our website, you can actually see it but there's a picture of of Mike Lee who contracted the coronavirus and basically it it says you know he he it, it shows him in the you know in a in a hearing without a mask and it says seems the virus isn't as lethal debilitating bad as liberal left news media and chicken little researchers would like american america to believe now think the, about of course, that. this that team, came
0: out on right. the Summit County Board of Elections official Twitter account, ridiculing the danger of the coronavirus. That's that's just
1: kind of astounding. Well, and he to to her credit. She screen grabbed this 10 seconds after it was tweeted. So I don't have any sense of how long it was actually up. But it, it's, you know, they, they tried to sort of explain it, that he that this employee was working at home and. And that, you know, and it was a a complete accident. And and, but I I just like. yeah. But
0: what does it mean when you have a guy working for the Summit County Board of Elections that is a coronavirus denier? I mean, that's like having, you know, an Obama birther working
1: in the elections office. What the heck, man? Well, people are people are generally allowed to have their own opinions. But um, did we we found out who this guy was? Yeah, he's the former GOP chair of Summit County. Right. So, you know, it, it's it's, you know, it, it, I'm not surprised by his point of view, learning that he was the former GOP head of Summit County. But, you know, it's just I, I don't know. I think that, I, 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 mean, I think me, this deserves a little bit more more than just, a well, you know, mistakes happen. You know, yeah. let me put it in perspective. You're interviewing
0: somebody to come in and be a reporter on your team. And you ask them, hey, what do you think about the coronavirus? And they say, "Ah, oh, that's just a liberal left wing m- fake thing. There's no danger from it. It's, you know, it, it's not really dangerous at all. How's that going to play in your decision on whether to hire that person? Hey, pe-
1: again, people are allowed to have their own opinions. Yeah, but but it doesn't I, but mean I would they should say have I would be, positions of authority in government. I would be suspicious. Just,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay you're listening to this week in the cle that'll do it for another episode thank you chris thank you laura thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast we'll be back with another episode tomorrow with a special guest Layla atassi will be in to talk about some big developments going on in the public housing world